Miller. On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host Mr. Carl McDermott, the head grounds person of Lords, uh, the iconic uh, pitch of the incredible sport cricket uh, in the UK. Um, it was such a phenomenal episode because there was so much discussion on how differing things are going on, not only again in just the management practices, but how also how similar we are. Um, when it comes to the industry as a whole, especially when it comes to the future. Um, we had a great discussion on how different ways we've been trying to figure out how to bring younger individuals, similar kids in our program, to this incredible industry and to grow, not just by ourselves, but with the future of what could be and what we hope it to be. Um, it's just a phenomenal episode with such an incredible person. It's and it's also always great to make great connections across uh, uh, an international space, you know. And Carl's such a great guy uh, with such great talent, and it's incredible to hear the work that he does and to hear it in such a unique space with cricket being a uh, completely different game when it comes to the playing surface and how critical things need to be in order for the players to be successful, as well as the grounds crew, you know. And uh, we can't thank Carl enough. It was an absolute blast. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Good evening, and welcome to the 61st episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host. This is our first remote uh, location <laughs> podcast. Uh, today we have the honor of having the head grounds person at Lords working for the MCC, Mr. Carl McDermott. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, excited to hear about your career and everything that goes into what the uh, iconic place of Lords does for the sport of cricket. Um, to sort of start off, because a lot of people don't truly understand what it takes to maintain, again, uh, a cricket pitch uh, with the clay in the middle and everything, I actually had the honor of seeing it be input uh, to a field here in the United States at City Field where I used to work. Um, and it was just crazy, just the overall idea of the clay right in the middle of your grass. And you're like, well, this is everything against what we know. <laughs> so uh, if you could, uh, could sort of give us like a rundown of what a pitch is made up of and sort of the main idea of maintaining uh, a compacted area like no other. Yeah. So <clears throat> cricket is uh, an extremely unique sport in, ma in many ways, both in how it's played and how you prepare the pitch. As, as you sort of said, you know, we've got a, a very high clay content in the middle which is basically the cricket pitch, as we call it, the bit, bit, the bit between the two bits of wood that you'll see, which is made up of uh, a clay loam, heavy clay, which is like 30, 31% clay, give or take, and the rest is made up of silt and sand. So as you can imagine, having something that heavy with clay uh, takes a lot of managing and uh, watering, and you know it's difficult to go grow grass in and things like that. So it's I think until you're working cricket, you can't really appreciate what actually goes into even just preparing a pitch or looking after that kind of area. Um, I suppose in, in layman's terms, you know, here and the traditional way we build that pitch, it'll be of about 12 inches, which is about a foot of compacted clay all the way down that heavy clay with a, with a gravel bed underneath there just to help with any sort of drainage that gets down there. And 
But if you build a pitch, for example, you, you, you know, you won't play in it for two or three years just to give it that chance to bed down and, and compact before it's fit for use, really. So it's, uh, it's crazy. I sort of describe it as we spend half the year during the winter trying to make it look pretty and then the whole summer absolutely beating the living daylights out of it to, uh, to play cricket on it. You know, we, we sort of end up, you know, preparing a single pitch takes about 10 to 14 days. You know, we water it heavily to get water down the profile to about three or four inches maybe, which takes time. And then we start rolling it with uh, anything between a one ton to sort of two and a half, three ton roller, which uh, say, as you can imagine, is not very good on the grass either, really. So <clears throat> that takes about 10 days, 10 day process of doing that. We do dry it out, dry it out. And you may have seen pictures or, or videos or whatever. And it looks white when it's finished, which shows you how stressed the grass is. And it's cut down to about sort of, you know, between four or five, six millimeters. So. It looks like there's nothing there, but you know when you get up close, there there is a bit of grass there, really. So yeah, that's the whistle. It. That's the whistle stop tour, really, without getting boring you. <laughs> no, no. Um, so what was it that brought you to cricket? You know, uh, being a, a a turf person, you know, having again sort of the the mecca of football, I should say, not soccer over there. Um, and obviously, cricket's very deep in the culture in England and other places in the world. What was it that sort of brought you to Lords, and what was that sort of uh, decision-making process like for you? Yeah, well, um, as you can probably tell, I'm not, I'm not English. Being, being an Irishman and being involved in cricket is a, is a slightly different thing as well, you know. We obviously do have cricket in Ireland, but it's, it's, it's big, but it's not, as, it's not our national sport like it is in, in, in England. Uh, basically, many, many moons ago, back when I was young and a little bit less gray hair, uh, my maths teacher at school was the groundsman at my local cricket club. I was 14 and I'd, I'd never set foot inside the, the cricket ground and it was only about one or two miles from my house. And uh, he was looking for someone just to give him a hand, you know, a couple of days a week and on the weekends to uh, sort of help out. And then, then I got the bug, really. Uh, you know, I was, I was lucky, right place, right time. Listen, I didn't leave school thinking I was going to be a cricket groundsman. But I just sort of, like a lot of people, they, you know, they fall into these kind of things. Um, uh, as I say, I was lucky. There are a lot of contacts and I ended up working a bit overseas and, you know, South Africa and Australia and places like that when I was younger in, in our winter, which is their summer. <clears throat> uh, just gained more and more experience, really. And, and then it was going to become a career for me. So I decided to make a move over to the UK probably 10 or 12 years ago. Um, I've worked for a couple of clubs while I was over here, Worcester, which is in, in the Midlands near Birmingham, and then a ground down south in Southampton, the Aegeus Bowl, uh, where I ended up being the head groundsman there. Uh, and at Lords, then the old head groundsman was retiring, and I was, I was lucky enough to be asked would I consider applying for the role, which I did, and you know, I was the lucky one that got it, really. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of experience, not just luck, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, think, I think so. Things are, you know, back when I was young and our, our education for, you know, cricket over here in terms of uh, groundsmanship is, is, isn't great, really. And so I'm purely a non-educated, uh, all-experienced groundsman. I always told my kids uh, when I went to school at Virginia Tech for four years in turf, I learned more on my job on the grounds crew than I did in the classroom, which don't get me wrong. 
Dr. Gilder, don't kill me for saying that, but it's true. You know, experience in the field is like none other, you know, you never truly know how to handle the situation until you're in it, you know? Um, no, definitely. And I think I've learned from my mistakes of which, which I made plenty and cricket pitch has been so intricate and unique. You know, it's very easy to get it wrong. And when you do get it wrong, it's not just like you've overwatered or underwatered, you know, it, it affects the whole game. Absolutely. Which, uh, you know, you learn quickly. I'm sure. Um, what was it like? Again, you're saying you're going abroad, uh, Australia, South Africa. Obviously, you're working with different types of turf grasses. Um, what did you sort of take away from your time, again, sort of on the Southern Hemisphere? Um, which, again, I'm not sure where you were at, so it might have similar turf, but at the same time, uh, how did you take that and sort of apply it to your role at Lords? Very, <clears throat> obviously, the game is similar, but um, the weather conditions are completely different. You know, obviously a lot warmer. Um, the the soils and, and the grasses were were very different. But I was, you know, I was quite fresh faced. I was quite young, so I hadn't really delved into the dark arts of cricket preparation at that point. So it was more about gaining, you know, a life experience and work experience overseas as well. Um, I think, you know, you do take some little things away, but with the weather conditions and the way they prepare a pitch being so different to the UK. Um, you know, there are similarities, but they're very different as well. Absolutely. Sorry, my mute button went on. <laughs> um, now, again, I could be wrong with this, but this has sort of been what I have learned and whatnot. Lords is kind of the, the pinnacle, you know, it's the sort of the mecca for cricket. Um, with your time and everything, the dedication you have to becoming an experienced groundsman what does it mean to you to be the head groundsman at or groundsperson i apologize for again sort of where all of cricket fans look to look towards enjoy watching and just being a part of again sort of that really great culture that comes with cricket yeah like i don't think you know everybody knew well you know everybody knows lords as it's as the home of cricket really you know we we run a lot of things and we, we look after the laws and things like that. But, you know, I think for somebody to step out on, as they call it over here, the hallowed turf, you know, it, it's a big deal. So even from, you know, the seasoned international professional player to, you know, the guy that just plays down in the local village, to get a chance to step out onto, onto the grass is, is an amazing experience. And, you know, I, I knew that from the outside, but I think, you know, firstly, being considered for the role, you know, was a massive honour. And I thought, uh, if it never went any further than that, you know, even to have been in the top five, you know, people to be considered for that role, which will only ever come around once in my working lifetime, you know, was pretty amazing. Um, I, di I didn't think I was ever going to get the job, you know. I don't know if I was underselling myself or anything like that, but uh, when I got the call uh, to say I'd made a round to the second round of interviews, that was, that was amazing. And then to get the call to say, you know, I got the job was was you know astounding and you know i was really lost for words at the time and and quite emotional to be honest because you know we all joke about it when we're younger saying we want to be you know working at lords or be the head grands person or things like that you know but when it actually happens and and my friends sort of say in, in a nice way you know it's it's unbelievable you know <laughs> because the journey to get me here you know was a lot of hard work and dedication and um it's a, it's a sacrifice i sacrificed a lot over the years as, as a lot of people who work in, in sports turf do, you know, it's, it's a passion really, isn't it? Um, 
you know you eat live sleep you know the whole the whole uh the whole venue really uh but listen immensely proud and it's you know i still have to pinch myself it's i've just finished three years and i still walk out there when there's no one around and i go yeah this is this is pretty cool that's awesome that's so awesome um, and it's all it, i love when you have those moments where you're like this is still very real you know like it's so great to actually be a part of this you know um and i, I think i think i think if i ever lose that you know i think you know i need to move on really and the best parts for me is on a weekend if there's no one around and i'm, I'm sitting on the mower or on the roller and the sun is coming up and just shines on the beautiful old pavilion that we have in the background and I think yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. Sort of, it yeah. still makes your hairs go up in the back of your neck. Definitely, definitely, it's a good barometer on uh, people in their careers. You know, if you're yeah. still not having those moments, it's not the best place to be, I guess. You know. Yeah. Um, which here in our program, it's a high school program where we teach kids sports surf management, and really seeing them grow a passion for what we do is truly incredible to see. Um, you were talking before how you sort of uh, had a math teacher who pointed you towards, again, cr cricket. Um, what exactly was it that brought you, again, to this passion for sports turf? And what is it like to sort of, again, continue to grow that passion, whether that's through your work, whether that's connecting with people like this? Um, and just really what, what keeps you moving on the grind of what sports turf is? I think in cricket, you know, it's as I get, I get back to the uniqueness, you know, I think certainly at, at this level now as well, and it's quite a lot of media profile and social media, uh, you know, people look always looking down, you know, I'm, you know, happy to make a comment or whatever. But I think, you know, if you ever stand still in this job, you know, it's going to catch up and you're pretty, pretty quick. Uh, and also, I think, you know, being at Lords, we, we thrive to be the best cricket venue in the world, you know, and, uh, I think as long as we're always continuing on the upward slope, especially from the pitch point of view, uh, that sort of that sort of drives me on. And getting back to the pitches, you know, you're only as good as your last bad pitch because they they very players very rarely remember the good pitches. They just remember the one that you know might have hindered them one day. So uh, I think if you rest on your laurels, uh, you know, you're not going to last very long. Really, it's uh, you know you've always got to think about it. You know, it's it's ever evolving. Sports turf in general, not just cricket, is just moving so quick at the moment with uh with everything really and everybody wants the best of the best and uh, you really keep got to hard keep you know work really hard to keep pushing for that absolutely um one of the things that i'm, I'm always interested in with uh the people we talk to um you obviously had a lot of experience again internationally and all that um is there one thing that you took from Again, maybe one of the greatest lessons you learned, whether that was through failing, through uh, a person or anyone that was had a huge impact on your career, is there one lesson that you carry with each and every day, always sort of reminding you of what needs to get done, how to keep working through the difficulties and all that? Um, what is that one lesson and why do you care, carry it with you? Yeah, I think there's probably a couple of things really, you know, uh, one one thing for me is, um, and people find it hard to believe now because I'm, I'm quite chilled out these days, but when I was younger, I was a pretty grumpy groundsman. You know, everything everything would irritate me. Uh, if guys scratched the pitch, if guys were... 
kicking a football around, you know, not playing cricket or uh, just doing stupid things that, you know, really get on, uh, on groundsman's nerves. As you know, in every sport, they do that. Uh, and I think I was quite hot-headed and, and I'd bark quite a lot. And, you know, I think realized, soon realized, listen, it's irrelevant, really, those kind of things. So I had to chill out, really, or else it was going to put me <laughs> in a grave, probably. Um, so that was one thing. I definitely won, you know, always just take a step back and, you know, just take a breath. It's, you know, things are never that bad, really. And the little things that really get on your nerves, you know, are insurmountable when you think about, you know, everything else that goes along on with it. Uh, I think another one from my previous boss when I worked at Southampton at the Aegeus Bowl, the, uh, the old head groundsman, he, he was pretty brave in, in everything he did in terms of cricket. So, like, go with your gut feeling. Um, but, you know, make sure you've got, you've done everything to make sure that, you know, that good feeling can be backed up with, uh, you know, with good process and practices, really. And if you need to be brave just to push those boundaries a little bit, you know, don't be afraid to do it. Uh, again, you, if you get it wrong, you'll only do it once and you'll probably learn more of that experience than, not, than regretting not doing it, I think. Definitely. Um, are there any real men- big mentors in your career that uh, sort of changed the outlook of what you did and how you got to this point at Lord's? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of cricket, we have, well, without overcomplicating it, in the professional game, we've got 18, 18 venues, 18, they're called counties, but they're like teams, really. And, you know, we're all a pretty close group. We, uh, all near, most of us are around about the same age, but a couple a little bit older. We have a WhatsApp group, and, you know, we're in, we're in regular contact with each other daily and, and weekly about, you know, practical things or things that are just really annoying us. and. It's like a sounding board, really. I think I look up, I look up to all those guys. Uh, we pick each other's brains a lot. And, you know, just because I, I work at Lords doesn't mean I know everything. I, I certainly don't. You know, you're learning every day, which is a great thing about sports turf. You know, you do, you do learn something new every day. Um, so I think, you know, those guys are really people that I, you know, I lean on and rely on for a lot of, uh, a lot of help and, uh, and consideration. And I, I love, again, it seems to be that it runs with most sports turf managers is just creating that culture, you know, where you guys are all working together and it's never a, oh, mine's better than yours. I'm always ready to help. I mean, I reached out to you, you responded real quick and everything, and it's, this is fantastic. Um, but creating a space, you know, where everyone can get better and have each other's backs and i think that's incredible it's just awesome to hear um yeah definitely because we know if any one of us have a bad day you know the rest of the guys are on the phone straight away if you you know if anything goes wrong on a televised game or things like that you know or you're in the paper for anything you know none of us want the other person to fail even though we're sort of in in uh competition a little bit friendly competition <laughs> it is yeah it is yeah and like at the end of the day there's always a grand person of the year and we all we all like to win that but you're happy for the person who wins it as well so uh you know there's very little competition or we're all happy to help each other out which i think in our industry is really really important absolutely um sort of segueing into this um i I know it's completely different. I mean, when it comes to managing fields compared to the United States from uh, to the UK, whether that's football or cricket or whatever it is specifically, um, how have you seen sort of the industry change over the years uh, since you started 
um, and where international came back. How have you sort of seen everything shift and what sort of direction do you see the industry going uh, for the years to come? Uh, loads of things have changed in, in what about 30 odd years, probably in, in the industry really, which, you know, machinery first thing is, is a huge difference. When I first started, we had a clapped out old cylinder mower that you'd, you know, you'd have to change the spark plug or clean it every time and it wouldn't pull start and the cables were hanging off, you know, totally unsafe. Um, but where you look at now, we have such, you know, such much improved machinery, safer to use, easier to use, uh, more versatile. Um, I think in cri- from cricket point of view, I think our machinery that we use now for end of season you know, I don't know if you guys have the coral machine over there that sort of phrase Moses off the top of the pitches. Uh, using that now in a cricket square is, uh, is a game changer for everybody, really. Uh, but then 10 years ago, you were afraid to put a tractor over a square with, with you know, a vertidrainer on it. And now, you know, we don't even blink in what we put on the square. So uh, things like that really change quickly. Techniques are changing to move alongside with that. Um, in terms of extra other stuff now, we're, you know, light rigs are now coming into cricket a little bit more, more, more so for winter use, just to get some more heat and light onto, onto the squares because obviously we, we don't have such nice winters over here. Um, and, and things like that, you know, are what we cover with now. Our covers are so much easier and lighter to use. And we've got a, we've got a hover cover here, which a number of grounds have over here, but it literally, it is a hover uh, craft that just, two fans lifted up and then we just floated across the ground, cover the pitch and, and roll the sheets out sideways, sort of like you see in a baseball where they have it on the sausage and it rolls out. So we have a hover machine that sort of floats it out there and, and things like that just make the job so much easier and more efficient. I think the MLB needs to figure out the hover cover. Okay. <laughs> because those, those rolls are not fun to push. <laughs> no, they're not. I, I've seen some pretty bad videos where guys get left underneath and things like that. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> I used, I used to work for the New York Mets, uh, and I, I think I said that earlier with the cricket and everything, but there was one time, uh, we had just had a hour and 45 minute rain delay and it was the last inning. We had got everything off and ready to go and it starts to rain and this cell comes out of nowhere and the umpires think that they can get the game in, meaning like two pitches and... Well, it's starting to pour, and the guy hits a home run to take the lead, and we have to get the thing on the tarp on yeah. the field. Uh, we got probably like a quarter of the way on, and uh, the rest was sort of uh, a meme, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, good yeah. times, good times. They don't realize, you know, when you have a sheet that's probably, what, 100 feet by 100 feet, you know, how heavy, and it's, it's a sail for the wind. For the and wind, and then you put hundreds of pounds of water on water it. Water on it, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's crazy. We're, we're we're quite lucky here. So we'd probably cover the equivalent of, you know, one go maybe two hundred feet across by about a hundred feet. So you know, it's quite a big area. But Lords is on on a slope, which is eight foot eight, which is what two point something meters, I suppose, uh, from one side to another. So luckily, all the water runs down the slope. Very but obviously, nice. from yeah, that's nice to get the water off the sheets. But it has other issues when it comes to preparation and watering, as you can imagine. But uh, no, that's I'm sure. That, that, that's, <laughs> it, it is pretty. It's pretty good like for us. An on and off switch for you, like, hey, yeah. okay, drain. Nope, don't drain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. We're coming up with crazy things over there with field, you can probably just get something to lift up and down, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, something that goes 
to again what uh, grounds crew makes up. You know, what are you looking for in uh, a young and up and coming uh, groundsman, uh, groundsperson? I apologize for keep doing that. Um, but for kids like mine who would be interested in maybe pursuing something like this, um, what are you looking for in that person, and how do you sort of come to the decision of hiring them uh, for again a position with you at Lords? It's um, <clears throat> it's a huge problem at the moment. I was at a seminar about a month ago, and that was one of the main topics of conversation. How do we get young people into sports turf industry? You know, cricket has has a big problem with getting young kids uh, into into the game because you know we're our seasonal, obviously, but our season we know we're busy from probably mid February up until mid October, but it's pretty full on. Uh, you know, seven days a week. Uh, sometimes you know 12 14 hour days and, and that's regularly and um, because it's so it's so uh you know we play it or some of our games are four or five days straight and then you might go into an evening game a couple of nights later which is under floodlights so if you think you know, who wants to do that you know it, there's not a lot of money in the game over here for for grand staff so you know you're not getting paid you're not going to be a millionaire by cutting grass and and kids that or finding other jobs to do for you know more money and, and less time at work and it's think get back to the passion thing i think we need to find people with with passions but it's i think it's my job as a manager as well that anyone i do meet and is interested that i encourage them and not just have them you know down the back back of the shed cleaning up sweeping the floors or shoveling the grass into trailers you know they're not going to keep it up you know i think the reason i kept it up was because i got an opportunity to do everything at a pretty early age and um, I really got my hands dirty and learned how to about pitch prep. When it comes to the original question, sorry, you know, up on a tangent, you know, you're fine. <laughs> anyone, anyone that applies for a job here or in, in previous places, um, you know, you're just looking for somebody, you know, great if they have uh, qualifications behind them, but experience, I think for me is, is a big thing. And, you know, I really encourage anyone to go out there and get work experience or if an opportunity comes around, take it. You never know where it could lead to. Uh, me going to South Africa and Australia was something that happened just by chance and it was a great experience for me. And it looks pretty good in your CV as well, you know, when you put it down there. Um, but as long as these guys have the passion and, and I make no secret about how long the days and weeks, you know, are, are and how much that you're going to lo lose your free time during the summer, even though, we try our best, but sometimes it just overruns. Um, I think then the cream sort of rises to the top and the guys who are really interested, uh, you know, really do shine. And uh, and then you, you soon, I think you soon realize after a week or two if these guys are going to, you know, succeed or not. And luckily, I love you know, how you brought up the, the whole concept of bringing in youth because I'm actually, so I'm not at my normal setup, um, but I'm in Ohio right now at a Ohio turf foundation conference and i was presented yesterday exactly on what you just said you know um i think the biggest issue we face is the fact that a lot of industry professionals want help you know and they want kids to come in and do the part of my french the the bitch work um yeah <laughs> i again i probably shouldn't say that but um battling that again at a, at a now an international level is really hard because it's important to understand these kids could possibly do well. It's just when they mess up, people don't have time for it is what I normally see. And 
it's it's sad because it truly does turn kids off from wanting to do this, you know. And uh, I think we do a pretty good job in our program of sort of facilitating that time where, again, they're raw, they're learning, they have mistakes. It's not the end of the world if they mess up. It's just really easy things that we can sort of prep our students on to then go work on a golf course or on a grounds crew and have those sort of showing their boss moments like, hey, I am very capable, use me, you know, um, and not just on the sweep in the shop and weed eating the fence line and all that. So um, I also make sure they're, oh, they're aware of the fact that they're going to do that. You know, you have to work your way up in any job, you know, you don't become an engineer and you're the head guy on a project <laughs> coming oh, out of college, you know? De definitely. So. And I, I sort of have a theory that I wouldn't ask someone to do something that I wouldn't do myself or, or haven't done in the past. And, you know, I do chuck, I try to chuck them in at the deep end and people sort of go, whoa, this is my first week and you're letting me, you know, cut a pitch out in the middle of Lords and this is crazy. And I go, yeah, but this is the only way you're going to learn because, you know, it's funny how, you know, you, you put your hands on the mower at Lords and all of a sudden you start shaking, you know, I think this is a pretty big deal. Um, but you know, they need people, they need the experience, uh, and that's the only way they're going to get it really. And, and it's, 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 it's my job as a manager to make sure that they do. And that sort of promotes interest amongst the team as well, really. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine also presented, uh, she was talking about, there's nothing that I can, can't do that my assistant can't. And she said that I understand that everything that I asked him to do while I'm gone is going to be done and done right. You know? So throwing them in the deep end, it's probably the safest bet to A, keep them interested, B, and ensure that you have people that are well capable of taking care of things if you're not there, you know? Well, exactly. If I, if I break my leg or something and I'm off work, you know, I, you need to be able to trust your staff to do things. And that's, you know, it's, trust is a big thing for a cricket groundsman. You know, the, all the head honchos don't tend to like to release the reins a little bit and they're quite protective, but... You know, one day that's, you know, you're going to have to do that. So, you know, we need Absolutely. to make sure that, you know, we promote these guys to make sure that, that we want to, uh, you know, they can, they can take my role. And I think if, and if I interview anyone or I speak to anyone about interviews, the best advice I can give them is if they ask you, where do you see yourself in five years time? You know, why should you say, oh, hope I'm doing really well within the team and maybe I'll be deputy and things like that. You know, why not say, you know, I want to be head grounds person in, in the club next door. And I go, whoa, but then you want to leave. But isn't that the person you want? Because they've got the drive and ambition to then put the hours in every day because they see a future for themselves. It might be at your club, but if that's if another club, you know, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. At least he didn't say, I want to be in your shoes, you know? Well, <laughs> you know, that, I, I don't mind that either, but I'm Yeah, no, I'm, I understand, but... Hopefully I'm still you have your job, young right? enough that I'm not going to, uh, you know, retire or, or get the sack. Is, no, um, is it an issue in the States with kids moving into the industry? Yes, it's very, very much a... Uh, it's up front and center in a lot of our conversations in the industry. Um, uh, we actually, so... STMA is the the conference. I think. I uh, do you know Pam Sherritt? Uh, she's at uh, Ohio State. She's from England, um, and she was talking about. Uh, I think it's Saltex is what you guys yeah. have. Um, sort of the conference in the U.S. and uh, the general session. So the introductory presentation is a panel of professors, industry professionals, and then me which I still don't understand why I'm on it, but still. <laughs> um, it's about finding 
the next generation of sort of the sports turf managers and how are we going to keep them and retain them slash again, grow that interest. You know, um, I think it's pretty present in the, um, during the COVID time that there are so many people that need us and understand now that there is a need for, uh, skilled professionals in this industry um, having people at the professional levels, ensuring that they're actually going to do well for, again, the safety of the players and whatnot. So I think the goal right now is not only getting more stu- uh, youth into it, but also becoming more aware to sort of society in a sense, you know, um, which I think you guys do a phenomenal job um, in England. Um, whether that's the, I forget the week that they did it, but they had like a GMA did like a week yeah. of celebration. I thought that was incredible, you know, putting that out there, understanding like the significance of what you guys do. Um, and I think there's also a more greater appreciation for the pitches. You know, there isn't people storming the fields after games and all that. Um, and it's, it's definitely one of the leading issues here in the United States. And it's something that they're trying to address. Um, and one of the ways they're trying to do that is creating more programs like mine. Um, because, I have over 215 kids in my program that are getting firsthand experience on equipment that, again, I used when I worked for the Mets in Pittsburgh for the Steelers at the professional football and baseball stage. Like, they're understanding how to properly do this stuff. Even if we get 10 to 15 per year coming out of high school interested or in, like going to college for it, that's going to be a huge impact on the future of the industry because there really isn't that many kids coming out into it. You know what I mean? Um, It sounds like you've got a better pathway than we have over here from the educational point of view. You know, you really have to work or work hard to go and find, you know, we couldn't go to uni for four years and things of that. Well, you could, but it's not as readily available as, you know, as you think it would be. Plus you want to get into the workforce as well. You know, this is the other thing. Those kids that start like me, you know, you're starting when you're 14, 15, 16. Uh, just during your summer holidays and things, and then and then you get the passion for it, really, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've had a few kids that have they're already like, I think one of my seniors is in their third year or fourth year on a golf course, and it's like, man, you're like a, a thousand miles ahead of me when I was in starting my career. Like you guys are so set, it's like not even funny what the opportunities are facing you. Whether that's go to a two-year degree or don't go to college at all, you have so many different things that you are, again, sort of awarded with your hard work, you know. Um, and it's been great to see, and hopefully we can continue that. Um, but who knows? I actually had a conversation with uh, John Ludwig. They just opened up their sports turf academy, um, yeah. and he wants he trying to talk about how to get it in the younger. Uh, classrooms and whatnot and sort of how we developed ours, you know. Um, but again, it, it'll it be interesting to see how it's playing out because it is a very critical time. And I think yeah. both of our industries, you know, uh, it's just, it's only time will tell. It's probably the best way to say it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I wonder if people realize that you can't have a career in, in cricket grounds and shit, for example. So that, and that's that's what I always like. My biggest issue with all of this, which uh, STMA is doing a really good job of bringing out, and uh, GCSAA Golf Course Superintendent Association, is just putting out information on a national scale, like showing them that these people 
are critical to the whole outcome of professional sports, you know, not even professional. We're talking like recreational around where your little leagues are. You know, the, the fact that your kids can play on a little league field, that's not just there. It's not just sitting there ready for you when, when you come in, you know? Um, and I always, I always talk about my ignorance as a child. You know, I used to go to New York Mets games and I was a big Mike Piazza. He was the catcher, one of the players and he's a hall of famer. I was like, I was so intrigued by the hall of famer that I never noticed the work of the hall of fame groundskeeper when he put the New York cityscape burned into the outfield grass. And I'm like, wow, you're just an asshole. Like, <laughs> that's one of the most iconic things that happened in the industry. And I was there for it as like a 10 year old and I didn't notice it. <laughs> so, um, and I, again, I, I think that's definitely the biggest thing moving forward, you know? Um, and for cricket fans, I mean, there are, I'm sure there are thousands of kids that are huge cricket fans that, if there's a way that they knew how to stay in the game and even really be that close to the game as a grounds person, you'd have way more people coming around and trying to do what you do, you know? So I think that's the biggest thing. It's just De- definitely. And I think, you know, I think for me, I'd like to, I like to champion our industry and highlight it. And I always sort of say to, if in any, if I'm anywhere, you know, doing a talk or seminars or anything, I always say, listen, the gates of Lords are always open for any of you guys, no, no matter what level you work at, come and have a look. You know, if, if, if I'm available and I can, I can welcome you, let, let's do it. Because if that inspires somebody to keep their job going or say, oh, I wouldn't mind getting into professional cricket or professional, you know, football, rugby and things like that. Uh, you know, I think that's sort of, you know, a job done for me, really. Absolutely. That was a part, another part of my presentation is just even conferences, you know, that, I mean, uh, there were high school students here and uh, they had an exam, but it was in the, the trade show floor. So they walk in and like, whoa, like freaking out about all the machines and everything. Little things like that can change the outlook of a kid's life forever. And I don't think people put enough emphasis on those small moments that can have a lasting impact, you know? Um, which stuff like letting people in and seeing it is going to change their lives forever. You know, whether that's, they're going to be working to get to where you're at, working to get uh, on a grounds crew somewhere. Just it's incredible what moments in life can do for you, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I think one of my things earlier in my career that inspired me, I came over to the youth when I was working in Ireland, we had an English coach that coached the Irish national team. And his county uh, was Derbyshire, which is sort of in the Midlands. And he said, go over for a week's work experience. And I'd never been to a professional cricket ground. And I just thought, well, now, you know, in relative terms, it's, it's a smaller ground to Lords and a lot less seats and things like that. But I just thought it was so cool. And you see the extra staff, the machinery they had, you know, all the covers and things like that. And I went, yeah, this is, you know, that, this is what I want to do, really. And, and uh, I think things like that that you can see and experience it, you know, are great. Couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, sort of shifting to a new subject. Um, when it comes to your uh, playing surface, what is sort of the makeup? You just sort of talked about there's this grade and everything. Um, what type of turf you using? What's the soil profile on the rest of the square? If I'm hearing that right, I apologize. Yeah. That's not right. <laughs> um, uh, and how have you sort of seen change over the years? If you have changed the type of grass or anything like that in renovations or along the lines of what goes into the square? 
So when I say the square, the, the square is the bit in the middle where they physically play cricket, where the All cricket right, pitches so, are. Gotcha. So that's, yeah, that's, that's the sort of clay, the heavy clay area. Now here, it, sorry. Here, <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. In, in, in Australia, they call it a block. So it's, it's called different things everywhere. So we, in ours, we've got about um, what, 23 pitches across, which is the 10-foot pitches. So about 230 foot worth of cricket square by 80 feet. So that's literally plonked in the middle. And we move from pitch to pitch every game we play. So, and then we renovate the old pitch so we can bring it back into play and things. So all of that is, as I say, getting back to our heavy clay loam um, built to that 12-inch uh, base. And then the outfield area, which is outside of that, uh, here at Lords, it's, it's sort of, I call it the world's biggest golf green. Um, a number of years ago, this was old London clay and it didn't drain well. And they used to cover literally the whole ground, which is just shy of two hectares with sheets during games, just to make sure that they could get back on. Because if it rained once, you know, that was it for, for the day, really. So they, they invested, you know, a million pounds or oh, how many years ago, 10 maybe years ago, maybe a bit longer and dug it all out. and. Um, I say built the world's biggest golf green with probably half a meter of sand uh, and then laid what they grew turf up in a field for two years and brought it down and it started off um, as rye grass and then they got a lot of disease so they moved towards fescues and now now I've sort of we've reverted back to about a sort of 80 percent fescue 20 percent rye just to sort of help out with the disease tolerance as well D- diseases are changing a lot like as probably is over there and Things, different things seem to be trendy every every other year with diseases. Um, we sort of get a lot of dollar spot now and a little bit of fusarium, but it's quite, you know dollar spot didn't really exist over here not that long ago, and you know it's quite rife now. So, and then on the main square we use a hundred percent rye grass mix. So, um, there's about four different cultivars in that mix that uh, we make sure we got the four top ones every year, and generally it stayed pretty much the same for the last three years anyway. Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of it, really. All the grounds are very similar. All cricket squares and pitches would be 100% rye grass. Uh, I think when I remember when I first started, there was definitely a creeping fescue and things out in there. But, you know, I don't know why now, because you look back in hindsight, they don't survive in any drought, drought tolerance. And you think we're beating it up for 10 days to roll it and not water it. That, that It just died off. So um, the rye grass are pretty good now. I don't know if you guys use that, obviously that over there now, but they can handle being cut to you know, four millimeters and not having any water for 10 days and things of like that. And they, they sort of, they tend to come back pretty well. That's good. You know, ryegrass has come a long way, especially with yeah. the disease pressure, you know, um, something I'm always interested to hear, uh, when we're talking to guys from the UK, you guys are located. I, I didn't realize this. You guys are way North compared to us in Virginia, even the U S I didn't realize you guys were above the U S. Um, when it comes to the latitude, I got it. Yeah. That's the right one. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what is your climate like? Uh, I know there's a lot of different uh, difficulties, whether it's cold or again, the winters I'm sure are very harsh. Um, and then um, how exactly again is, how is it conducive to ryegrass? Again, uh, you said it's gotten way better and everything, but when we talk about, the damp, the, the cold, the, <laughs> all of the things that ryegrass hates you guys have. But again, some of the best fields in the world are in the UK, you know, what is it that you guys have sort of 
come uh, sort of developed to combat again the climate that you have um, in London? Yeah, I think so, so on sort of climate thing, you know, coming from Ireland where it sort of rained every other day, I was pretty used to wet weather. And then when I, when I first moved over to uh, Worcester, which is a sort of Midlands uh, area, uh, and then I moved down south, you know, the difference in three hours drive in terms of weather was, you know, it was pretty significant. It's, it's warmer down south in the UK, you know, Southampton was pretty good as by the coast and London is the same. It's sort of got its own little microclimate. If you ever follow the temperatures, London always sort of seems to be the hottest place, probably because we're smack bang in the middle of the city and things like that. But, um, you know, we're, we're pretty lucky down here. We've only had one frost so far. Um, you know, this weekend is going to be 13, 14 degrees centigrade, which is, which is pretty warm for, for uh, the winter. Our cold months tend to be January, February, March, just more sort of getting ready for pre-season. <laughs> um, that's the real battle. But, you know, I think, you know, a lot with everything now, we're, we're trying to prevent diseases. And, you know, we haven't got many fungicides. I think you guys have got way more fungicides than we have now. Everything tends to be banned over here at, at this rate. So we're doing a lot more prevention work. and We're trending more... that way. We're trending yeah, a lot yeah. of banning, you know, yeah. which... I understand, but at the same time, like when it comes to like crops and everything over here, like there's never going to be an issue for people because no. it's feeding us, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it is. And I think, you know, for example, we've got a pest disease over here where leather jackets are pretty, pretty rife at the moment. And you, you haven't really got anything to hand that can, um, that can treat that. And, you know, that's, they're pretty harsh, you know, they can ruin a game uh, no matter what game you play. Um, so we need we need to have a tool to to, uh, to treat it, um, you know worms as well. We got really bad, you know. We got nothing now to treat worms, so they just we have castings everywhere, and it's more like you know pra practical practical regimes that we're trying to cultural tactics to, to try and pull everything back. And I think that's the same with diseases as well. Uh, but dampness is our is our killer, and I think in in August is when the dew starts to come down towards the end of the summer and the then you see the disease pressure is quite high for us, and that's that's during our playing season. So, um, mostly cultural things like brushing and swishing the grass, the dew off in the mornings, and and things like that. And the stadium environment's pretty tough, as you probably know. And we've got certain areas in our ground that you know doesn't get any light during the winter, and and even during the summer as well. So they're under more pressure than otherwise. So it's a real learning on the job thing and trying to sort of adapt to. Uh, to what best you can. Some things would work on some ground and then it wouldn't work here and vice versa. So uh, everything's pretty unique. It's a uh, microclimate, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, I definitely. just think it's insane how it works sometimes, you know, um, even on fields. Like I, we've talked to a few people. Uh, one of the guys, he's a major league soccer in uh, Dallas and he has a stadium where, he has to like pay attention to specific areas because of whether it's like right light reflecting off something, burning up the grass or understanding the shade in one area is going to be way more than over here. And yes, it's common to a lot of different people, but he was just talking about how he manages his microclimates across just one pitch. You know, it's just crazy to me how things can be so different all across the world and still be similar at the same time. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, we have just one example. We've got the practice ground just at the back of the main field. And we've got one practice net block area that is always in the sunshine, always gets the wind. Uh, you know, the rest of them sit in the shade a lot during the summer and winter. And that's the one with the most disease on at the moment. So you would think that should be the best one. But now it sort of ends up in the worst one, really. And 
you know, it's, uh, it always keeps on your toes. I know that for a fact. Absolutely. Um, with everything. And again, it just sort of comes to the work of, again, a groundsman grounds person. Sorry. <laughs> um, what are your cultural practices that you're focusing on, uh, to just ensure again, playability safety for the players, um, and overall health of the plant? Yeah, I think, you know, again, that's probably another thing that's changed quite a lot now because the machinery is a lot more available to us either, you know, we can buy it or in, in my example, I hire a lot of kit in there because of in, being in the middle of London, we've got absolutely no storage, you know. So, um, you know, aeration machines, we obviously we hire in and do all the work ourselves and regular aeration, you know, we, we regularly vertical and clean out the plants everywhere uh, quite a lot now, probably weekly and things like that. So just to try and keep it as healthy as we can, really. And it's, you nearly got to be cruel to be kind, as you know, you'd always think you've got to make things look worse before they actually look better. And, you know, the short-term losses, the long-term gain is a, is a lot better for that. And we just try and keep things as healthy, healthy as possible. And we're in sort of a tricky situation at a venue like this, where it's always got to look pretty, you know, it's always, it can never look stressed or anything like that. So we, we do all the wrong things keep it looking right because you know we water every night just lightly it doesn't get to a depth or anything then we you end up a little patchy layer on the top and all those kind of things so our cultural practices with sort of cleaning the plant out as much as we can sort of tries and helps us sort of negate all the bad things we're doing just to make sure it looks pretty all the time hey as long as it's looking good and playing well it's all that matters it doesn't well, matter what it, you're doing yeah that is the thing and i think you know our our outfield area was quite thatchy uh, we've, we've hit it pretty hard with end of season renovations but because it drained so well like you know we did a test last year and it was in some areas it was 300 millimeters an hour you know which is which is a huge amount it's you know i think our guidelines are 30 millimeters an hour so we're 10 times over that and because it was draining that well you know, I think the thatch layer sort of didn't really matter, you know, but if we, if we weren't draining that well, it then causes a problem, doesn't it? So, so what I think, you know, it's like everything, you just got to keep an eye on things and, uh, and try to keep things moving forward. Absolutely. Um, has there been any new practices that you've seen in the industry um, and sort of adopted that in a way? Uh, I don't know, something along the lines of uh, maybe hydro seeding or stuff like that, where again, it's just, I wouldn't say it's not necessary, but it's just something that was discovered and created and sort of, you know what, it's kind of a good idea to use. Maybe we'll implement it here and there. Um, has there been anything for you like that or any practices think, that are new I to think, you compared to your past jobs? I think probably, yeah, probably the biggest in practice terms, you know, rolling, we, you know, we spend a lot of time physically rolling the pitch. You know, so as I say, sitting on a three ton roller, just going up and down, up and down on, a, on, a, on an 80-foot strip by, by 10 feet. Uh, when I first started, you would sit on that roller all day, you know, nonstop, just going up and down at a pretty slow, slower than walking pace, you know, literally snail's pace. Because we all thought we were trying to make the pitch harder and harder and harder. There was um, a study done not that long ago um, that proved, you know, if, if you're on the pitch more than 10, 15, 20 minutes, you know, you're not making any, any impact. And, I think everybody now has sort of come that way and thinking you can roll less and get better results. You just got to roll at the right time. But I remember when the, when it came out and you think, and you get off the roller after 15 minutes, so you think, well, this is wrong. It just does not feel right. And 
you didn't it was it took me a while to trust that process of saying less rolling in the right at the right time is better than sitting on it for two three four hours a day like that we all we all used to do we we're all guilty of it back in the day and i think without you know pushing that you know that report that came out you know we, we never put would have realized it really and i found that when i first came to lords as well they, all the guys are pretty uh, seasoned here they've been here a long long time and you know me getting them off the roller was was it was a big battle for them as well and me you know saying well we've done enough time to get off and that's probably one of been one of the biggest changes in uh, in pitch preparations i think that would be like taking away my happy place, you know. This is this uh, is my three hours of yeah, thought, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, you know, when I worked and when I was younger on my own in club cricket, you'd have to go in at six a.m. just to make sure you got all the rolling done in the day because you had to cut everything and, and stream and everything prep, like that. Prep so, it before you actually roll it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think people don't realize what goes into the uh, cricket pitch preparation. And we had the when I, when I started in twenty nineteen, uh, the the guys in Wembley. Uh, football stadium came around and you know they're all really good groundsmen but they'd never even dealt with cricket and when I explained to them what goes into preparing a cricket pitch and what we do like they were literally speechless you know their their jaws were Carl, Carl didn't have anything to say yeah he did no but the coolest thing of the day for me was when they walked in and they came around onto the ground and they just they all went wow you know and I think that was pretty cool um, but then someone just they'll say they couldn't believe what we do to the grass to get it in the state that we can play an international fixture on, you know, uh, it, it's an eye opener. I think that's probably one of the good things about nowadays that we can share our uh, experiences like that. And, uh, and, you know, just, you know, it's to say, just moving the industry forward, really. And I love how, again, like you're talking about a seasoned professional, you know, like he's done it all. He's seen it all. And just having something like that moment where like, wow, you know, yeah. This is a this is right down the road from us, and this is completely different. And I think that's what's so great about turf. You know, there are so many different things that you can do, and with even within again a sports turf setting, like baseball groundskeepers are way different than football groundskeepers, and seeing the differences and all that is just it's what I loved about my jobs. You know, and being able to do that. Um, so yeah, I love that. Um, there's been an emergence of a lot of new technologies, and you sort of talked about it before. Um, like soil sensors, even now people are coming out with autonomous mowers. I'm sorry, I'm not going to trust it. Like, <laughs> I understand that the science is sound, but I'm not getting cut by a mower that was like, oops, my bad. <laughs> um, has there been anything that you've been able to implement at Lords? And is there anything that you might want to implement in the future, whether that is like against soil sensors or anything like that? Yeah, I think we're we're obviously we're just about to buy. Well, we we bought a light rig, so that's not here yet. That's on, on the way from um, it's been built as we speak. So I think that's it's going to be a bespoke one for cricket. Uh, whereas before it was, we've trialed some of the football units and things like that things that weren't really suitable for for a cricket field. So we sort of I don't know if you've seen the ones at Wimbledon that span the courts over there. It's a similar style to those, and I think that's you know lights on cricket grounds have only been around about two or three years. A couple of other grounds have them and. We're starting to see the benefit of that. Um, soil sensors, there's a couple of new products out over here now that uh, we're probably going to start looking into. Um, I think they may not be quite there yet, so we might, I might just give it another year and let them find out elsewhere where what works and what doesn't work, and then we'll step into that. But, uh, you know, we're, cricket's still quite traditional, and um, 
we're not quite up to up to speed like say Premier League football clubs are and things like that. We just you know we haven't got the budget that those guys have either. You know, the money that they obviously have coming in and, and things like that, they're um, they're probably a little bit ahead of us. Um, but from a cricket point of view, at Lords we want to be leaders. You know, we want to make sure that we're at the front of any any sort of new technology and things that come out. And I'm always encouraged to sort of to push that. And if I have any sort of cool and funky ideas, and like the club will always listen to it and and they'll probably back it up. And it's it's about finding the time to do these things. You know, it's so busy during the season, and you know, monitoring and all that kind of stuff is is all relatively new for everyone now. And we need to make sure that uh, when we do do it, we do do it properly. Really, I think. Absolutely. Um, something that a lot of people don't really see. And again, we, we're talking again about sort of bringing groundsmen into light. Grounds people. Sorry. I, I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, nah, that's number 17. I've done that probably 17 <laughs> times. Um, bringing all that to light. But there's so much more to, again, what a grounds person does. Got that one. Here we go. Um, <laughs> could you sort of discuss sort of, again, behind the scenes, not really grass related things. We're talking about uh, business management, budgeting, personnel management, understanding how to ensure that you're getting the most out of your guys while at the same time saving money so that you can put funding towards other different things. Um, and how that's sort of developed over the years to the point again, where you're here at the head ground person job at Lords. Um, and what has been sort of the, best parts of those things and what has been the more difficult things you had to deal with? Yeah, I think <clears throat> I always sort of said the best job, I still do think it, the best job in the world is as deputy. You know, you get to do all the cool jobs and, and uh, the pitch prep and, but if things go wrong, it's not your head on the chopping block. And if you've got a difficult member of staff or any of that, you know, you, you don't really have to deal with it like it, like a head, a head manager does. That's, that was the biggest change for me coming into this role. And, I never really got much sort of budget training or, or anything like that when I first started. You know, you just sort of chucked into the deep end and then all of a sudden told you to string a budget together and then you're told, hang on, we can't afford that. You've got to strip stuff out left, right and center. And then you think, and then you're panicking over, do I have enough grass seed? Do I have enough fertilizers? Do I have enough this? Do I have enough that for the summer? And so, you know, at the start for me, that was, that was quite stressful. Um, because I'm not um, a particularly office-minded type person, and the job it's not going that way. But it's there's a lot more of that kind of stuff in the job now, and you can't avoid that. You know, you can't just not answer emails or not answer your phone because you don't fancy it nowadays. Um, so don't for you me, wish that, you could do that more often. Uh, nah, guess, I'm yeah. good. You you, you keep calling me. I'm just gonna stay yeah. in my office. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to set up my um, voicemail, funnily enough. So that's that's. <laughs> oh no! It's only been five <laughs> years. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so that was you know, budgeting's challenging. Uh, um, at Lords, is pretty good. To be fair, you know, when I came in here, there was, there was quite a lot of training. I got some media training, and I got some obviously financial training and things of like that. So they're pretty pretty clued up on that, and that that was a real eye opener for me. Um, dealing with, I think, staff is always. It's always tough and I think you know a happy team is just is so important to me and getting back to if you're giving somebody a job and you know they the big thing for me is are they going to be are they going to fit into the team because you know we're we spend more time with each other than you know you do we do at home so to make sure that those guys are happy most of the time listen nobody's happy all the time but creating that environment that they're comfortable in is is really important to me and um, luckily 
you know, I've managed to do that over the years and I've had pretty good feedback from, from those kind of guys, but it goes back to making sure that they all have responsibility and inclusivity and they get to, they make sure that, you know, their job is worthwhile and they feel like they're part of the team and things of like that is by giving them more responsibility. Like we have done, we used to do a lot of the end of season renovation work here. It was outside contractors. So now I've brought that in house. So the guys have been upskilled massively and, and they really enjoy it, you know, as I was saying, we, we hire in aerators and things like that, and I get the guys in the tractor, and they love they love doing that, and um, it's uh, you know it's pretty good and satisfying when when you sort of manage things like that. Really, media stuff is tough as well. I don't mind the old podcast now and again, but sometimes uh, when you got to do stuff or and things like that, so it can be pretty hard at times. You know, you always ask one tricky question somewhere along the way that you really have to think about giving the answer and. Um, I did during lockdown. I was the only one here, uh, and a, a morning TV show wanted to do something live with me, but that was the book stopped with that. I had to say no to that. You know, <laughs> uh, it was actually with Piers Morgan, who you probably know as well, over in the states. Oh gosh, <laughs> it, it was a big. You hear that big, name? You're kind of like, I know. I'm good. Thank you. Have a nice day. <laughs> he's, he's a big. He's a big cricket fan, and they did promise they wouldn't try and trip me up, but uh, I didn't want to take the chance. <laughs> <laughs> Not with Pierce Morgan, you know. <laughs> no. Uh, and with, I mean, I love the fact that you brought it in-house. You know, you're adding so much value to, again, sort of your guys' work, you know. And that's what I, yeah, I try and to it's do such, with my kids is just yeah. giving them ownership of their field, you know, letting them know that this is theirs, their work reflects that. And being able to see the product at the end. Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing, bringing kids into this industry, is yeah. the the process and then the product because yeah. there are so many people and so many younger people that want to see their work actually show a product. You know, a lot of kids are like, well, school is pointless. I don't want to do this. Math doesn't do anything for me, but by taking all that stuff and applying it to turf and having the opportunity to paint a cool logo here on a football field and displaying that, that changes sort of their outlook on again, what it is and what it could be, you know? Um, and I think that does that with the renovation and house being able to say, I did all that and that's going to be our field, you know, when it grows in. So I love that. Um, yeah. And there's nothing cooler than seeing your, you know, the, that first seed pop, you know, seven or eight days later after you've renovated an area and, uh, it gives them ownership and, you know, a little bit of pride towards it as well. And, you know, then you end up, been more than a grass cutter you know which you know it, it can happen very easily in this industry that you just end up sitting on a mower for five six seven hours a day and uh, you, you don't really get a chance to sort of experience other sides of the uh, of the job that's my happy place i will say that mowing is fantastic i it's my uh, patient escape not for me not for me i don't mind really? <laughs> i don't mind sitting in the tractor doing verti draining for a few hours but i can't uh, i can't sit in the mower Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, with everything, um, obviously the, the cultural practices are different in a sense between the U S and, uh, again, the UK, and it seems to be even through, uh, football and cricket. Um, I think Carl said it's a cylinder mower, right? Yeah. The pedestrian is what I call it. And he was like, no, it's yeah. a cylinder. I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you guys use sit-down mowers. In a sense, it's the similar to that, but there's a roller on the back, correct? Yeah. Uh, what is sort of the, the idea behind, again, sort of adding 
different things in comparison to, again, your friendly neighbors down the road that are doing a little bit different um, for your purposes as a cricket? Yeah, so <clears throat> you probably ride the different mowers and the cylinder mowers and the ride-ons, as you probably, or we call it ride-ons over here. Whereas we would use, we don't use a ride-on mower, so to speak, to cut our grounds. We have those cylinder mowers with the trail seat behind it. Similar to the ones that you see in football grounds, that where they walk behind, we just, you know, at least I let my guys sit down and they, they can. You're they a very nice person. Let me tell uh, you that right I, now. Uh, I don't do that. I don't let them do it in the winter. You just have a little walking time, but. <laughs> at least part of the year they're okay right <laughs> yeah 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 no exactly but i think we everybody does things differently and it's you know it's, a lot of it comes down to budget and what the guys can afford and in, in machinery and and manpower you know we could probably have one ride on mower but now we've with one man but we use tend to use three guys with, with mow the outfield so obviously it takes more time but the finish is 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 so much better i think in my view and uh, you know that's what you probably need really it's like everything isn't it you need investment in manpower a golf course looks great when you have somebody who can clip the edge of the bunker all the time but if you haven't got that extra man to do that you know it, it doesn't look as good as it should really absolutely and if somebody wants to put money into things then uh they'll actually work you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the other thing is just figuring out how to get the owners of these clubs and all these different things. Like, I mean, like John did, I mean, they put millions and millions of dollars into that turf academy, which means they're going to be putting the millions and millions into their fields and everything. So um, that's going to make a world of difference if somebody could do that over here and throughout yeah. the sort of the sporting world, you know what I mean? Um, definitely. And everything needs investment. And I think sometimes, you know, we, I've talked about earlier with the kids that they can earn more money down in the supermarket or have a better have a better work-life balance is something that we sort of talk about a lot in, in cricket. Um, how do you, you know, my boss always says to me, have, have you got a work-life balance? I say, yeah, work, life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you need to make a t-shirt and have that on the back as you walk yeah, past yeah, it. I know. Just a, just a little reminder saying, hey, work-life balance right here. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, it's really hard to get. But the investment, and, you know, it's easy to say we need to pay we need we all need to get paid more money or to make it more attractive but you know if we paid a young kid coming into the game more money than he gets now is he you know, is he going to is that going to keep him in the job we don't know do we so we sort of need to try that and and get the kids you know get that passion but it's really hard because they look at at sometimes or pretty average professional players who are getting paid fortunes and who have you know, and you feel, listen, I'm doing a lot more work than this that guy over there, and he's, you know, he's a professional cricketer or a football player or a rugby player, and you know, some of those guys may not be even in the team and probably earning ten times the amount that other guys are earning. That, that is true, <laughs> and I, I this is my other big thing is it's the the grounds person that is the first line of defense on your investment. So I don't understand how again these sports turf managers aren't making more money. You know, when you talk about ensuring the field and the pitch is playing perfectly like that's all on people like you and it's just kind yeah, of baffling it. that they don't understand that hey maybe you should take care of the people that take care of your millions and billions of investment dollars in your players yeah. you know i mean it's it's a huge thing in cricket because you know if we have an international match here you know we've got a full house and if something's not right with with the ground it isn't in any venue really you know, no, no, no ground, no game, no game, no money, no money, no people. And 
uh, I think on, on a whole, the whole industry needs to, to sort of be reminded of that. And it's not just at professional level, is it? It's at recreational and, and down your local parks and things like that, really. Absolutely. Colleges over here. I mean, those are multi-million dollar in, uh, entities, you know, like down at Virginia Tech, when I, where I went to school uh, for college, I mean, they're putting, I, like, they were putting $50 million into brand new, like, facilities. I'm sitting here like, you're, you're an athletic program in a college. You shouldn't have this kind of money. <laughs> like, what is going on right now? So uh, it's just, it's interesting to me to sort of see how all that comes to, together, you know? Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm pretty lucky here because the club, obviously, we're a cricket club, number one, and we want the ground to be as good as it can be. So uh, I have the budget and the backing that, that I need to, um, to produce that. It sort of puts you in a no-excuse environment then, though, doesn't it? Because... Uh, which is right, which is right. Um, but I know other grands, other cricket grands don't have the kind of backing that, you know, that I do here or the financial backing for sure. Absolutely, yeah, which it's sad to see, but at the same time, when people don't have money, people don't have money, right? Yeah. Um, so what are some of the fondest memories you've had when it comes to being a, a grounds person in cricket? Oh. It's yeah, mostly, I suppose, everybody, you know, in my first year at Lords, we had, um, you know, the World Cup was on and we, we, we hosted the final and uh, uh, England won it on home soil, which, which obviously is pretty, is pretty good for everyone. And uh, people always say, was that your highlight of, of your career? I said, yeah, it's, it's pretty much up there. But uh, probably going back to 1999 uh, when I was working back in Dublin, which is, you know, well, I literally worked at a recreational cricket club. You know, we had no stadium, no stands. And there's houses literally over the next fence. And uh, we had a, we had a, well, the World Cup was in the UK then as well, and Ireland. And we had, we had one match then. So we sort of turned our little cricket ground into a stadium by bringing in 3,000, 3,500 temporary seats and stands. And it was on television. Obviously, they built all the gantries for the cameras and all that. And I'll always remember that as, uh, you know, turning a little cricket club into what looked like on television, you know, a stadium uh, with the West Indies played Bangladesh uh, live on television. And, you know, I was only young. What was I, 24 then? And I just thought, you know, I think to this day, that's probably, you know, my, my professional highlight. Um, I, always, I always also wanted to go into test match cricket, which is the longer version of cricket, which goes on for five days. Uh, and to to prepare a pitch for England versus Australia in, in a test match is a pretty big thing for a cricket groundsman. And I'm lucky enough I did that in 2019 as well. And um, sort of those kind of things, and along with the World Cup, are sort of the highlights so far. Um, but here as well, also, we, we host minor matches and we have this competition called the Village Cup, which is a UK-wide thing that uh, is for amateur cricketers and who live in a village of less than a certain number of people. And we have that final every year. And uh, that's one of my favourite days of the year because you got guys who will never ever get a chance to play on Lords, and they get to step out, and uh, you just see the enjoyments and the pride, and uh, of stepping out onto Lords to play a match is, uh, I think, is very refreshing. And, and we we treat every game the same, you know. If whether it's a World Cup final or that Village Cup, we make sure that everything is done properly, and we don't take our foot off the gra- the gas because. You know, they deserve that that chance as well to sort of get the same opportunities that all the professional players do as well. I love that. That's that's just so cool. You know, uh, 
all the all the memories you're talking about are just personal, you know, instead of just big shiny things, you know. Like I got to work the World Series, but some of the crazier things are when things went wrong, you know, and you kind of came together as a crew and everything, and just having those moments are just some of the best things, you know, to happen to me. So no, I, I appreciate that so much. Um, so we sort of wrap it up on these last two questions um, because it's something that is so valuable for our kids to know. Um, but when you first started, obviously way back when, when you were 14, um, what would be one thing from over your years that you would tell yourself so that it's not to improve your experience or anything, but just to know, um, just sort of going into again, being a grounds person. Um, what would that one thing be and why? So I think, um, always ask questions definitely I, you know I, um when i was younger we, there was no sort of network or anything like that there was no one for me to tap up and say oh how do you do this how do you do that and i learned from experiences but nowadays with the things like social media and things don't be afraid to um ask a question or you know badger someone say can i come down and see your ground or can i work for a week with you for work experience then put yourself in an uncomfortable position listen, what's the worst thing that can happen? They'll just say no, you know? And if, but if you keep knocking on enough doors and asking those kind of questions, uh, you know, someone is going to open that door for you uh, one day. And, and, you know, don't be scared. Uh, all, everyone's a normal person at the end of the day. You know, I'm not, I think none of us, any head grands persons and managers I've met are not ogres. They're all great guys. And, uh, you know, they're more than happy to take any questions from anything. And, and there is no stupid question, you know? I think you've probably done more seminars than me, but there's always people come up to you after a quick Q&A and they ask you a question because they're too scared to ask it during the, uh, during the session. And you know, yeah, that was a pretty good question. And everybody probably would have enjoyed it if you asked that because everyone was thinking it, wasn't they? <laughs> yeah, those are, those are the funny ones. You're like, well, that would have been beneficial for everybody, but okay, here we go. <laughs> um, and then uh, the last question we always ask is, for kids in our program, uh, they're thinking about taking that first step into the industry um, and pursuing a career in this. What would be your best words of advice to them um, for, again, sort of taking that next step, whether that's going to a college program, straight out of high school, um, or maybe even going international and working over there with you guys, you know? What would be your best words of advice for them? You know, I think... Yeah, for firstly going overseas would be an absolutely amazing experience and i think i was a pretty shy young kid and i went to uh to south africa and i'd never been outside you know of ireland and and the uk so for me to go over there uh was an amazing experience and if anyone gets that opportunity just just take it you know it's you won't regret it even if you think you know i'm a i'm a home bird or i'll get homesick and things like that just just go into that uncomfortable area and people will look after you when you're away um <clears throat> you know just it's, you know you just got everyone's got to be brave and sort of take that step and that, that that uh it doesn't matter if you've been to college or straight out of school and things like that just gotta say keep on knocking on those doors and um you know someone will open one for you one day and if you do get a chance just make sure you take it with both hands and never leave thinking oh you know maybe i should have done a little bit more on that you know no and sort of a, i have no regrets really that's that's awesome because uh, there are times where i've had moments in my life that i just sort of i'm like you really messed up there you know like what could have been if you had done that um which 
don't get me wrong. I've loved what I do and I love that being able to do what we've done. Um, but it's always, there are some pivotal points in my life where I messed up real bad on something. I'm like, what could have happened, you know? Um, but I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. This has been phenomenal. I know it's, uh, pretty late compared to here. Uh, hopefully not too late. <laughs> um, no, it's okay. but, uh, it's been a blast and I truly can't thank you enough. No, you're more than welcome. And, uh, Listen, it's great that you're sort of reaching across the ocean now and sort of spreading your wings. And then it's, it, it's good for us now because I would never have known of your podcast. And I'm, I'm listening to guys who do American football and baseball <laughs> and things. And, you know, I'm learning things off them, which is pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, that's, that's awesome to hear. That's, that was the hope, you know, when we started, you know, it was for my kids. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of industry professionals are like, this is just amazing. You know, you're going to talk to these people and we get to hear about sort of their stories and everything that they're going through and some of the similarities, some of the things you can take away. Um, and it's just been phenomenal, you know, it's just a lot of fun and I, I love meeting guys like you, you know, it's incredible to again, sort of connect with different people and see how it goes and reconnect later on. Uh, maybe take a trip to England and see all of you guys, you know, just Absolutely. And maybe, or maybe I'll come over there one day. That'd be better for me. <laughs> hey, anytime, anytime. I'll take you up the East Coast and show you all the different facilities. I can the ones that I know people at that I can get us into. Uh, yeah, I probably I better, I better leave my wife at home for that because uh, she's a bit sick and tired of looking at cricket grounds when we go on holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. You're welcome anytime. We'd love to have you. Amazing.